From the team at CTS, this is the Train Ride Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Adam Pulford, your host for the cycling edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of cycling to bring you actionable training tips that you can apply to your own training. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. So just a, a quick disclosure before we get into today's episode, uh, Planetary is a CBD company based in Colorado. And the owner of Planetary has come to some CTS camps. She's super passionate about fitness, wellness, and endurance athletics. Uh, she's a triathlete as well as a cyclist and passionate about CBD. The other guest on today's episode is... Uh, a researcher in the field of CBD and all things hemp marijuana based. These things I know nothing, absolutely nothing about. And so as I get the question and kind of requests of, hey, um, should endurance athletes be taking CBD for various reasons? I, I reached out to the people I knew and uh, started asking some questions and I, I learned a ton along the way. Um, I still carried quite a bit of ignorance and, and arrogance coming into this episode. Um, so as you listeners, uh, listen to me go, uh, we'll, we're kind of like learning together here. So, uh, but just know that about planetary as, as a company. Um, I think what you'll find is the, the experience and the knowledge from these two guests are quite deep in this area and that the stigma around CBD THC and kind of the, the history around it too. I mean, the, this is something that I didn't really know about, but uh, I, I think it's a worthwhile discussion, especially for something, um, you know, a, a new product that is uh, kind of everywhere in our industry now. So uh, for what it's worth, um, you know, I, I learned a ton. Uh, I'll let you, you all decide kind of where you stand on uh, CBD and the life of an endurance athlete, but uh, some pretty good, some pretty good stuff in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back or welcome to the Train Right Podcast. As I alluded to in my pre-episode intro, we've got a pretty interesting and hot topic to discuss today, the world of cannabis and the endurance athlete. Since I know extremely little or next to nothing about this topic, I want to introduce two experts in this field who will be our learning guides in today's conversation, Joanna Zeiger and Stacey Kaysen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. So, you know, thank you both for taking time to talk to, um, you know, myself and also the listeners to learn more about this topic. Um, Joanna, let's just start with you. Uh, I, I know a little bit from your triathlon world and, and some listeners may know you from that as well, but could you tell us more about kind of the professional world, the researcher world, as well as the athlete world that, uh, that you uh, live in? Sure. I was a, I'll start with uh, my athletic backgrounds. Uh, so I was a professional triathlete from 1998 until 2010. During that time, I went to the 2000 Sydney Olympics where I placed fourth. And that same year, I went to the Hawaii Ironman World Championships and placed fifth. And I am still the only athlete to compete in both events in the same calendar year. Uh, I won 
uh, bronze at the 2001 ITU World Championships, so that's short course. In 2008, I was the Ironman 70.3 World Champion in what was then world record time. In 2009, when I was defending my world championship title, I had a terrible bike accident at one of the aid stations. I was getting a water bottle, and the person didn't let go of the water bottle and basically pulled me off my bike. I flipped over the handlebars and broke my collarbone and did severe structural and neuropathic damage to my rib cage. Uh, so I have a condition called intercostal neuralgia, and that's basically I've got uh, damage to those nerves that run between the ribs. So breathing is very painful. It impacts my diaphragm. It impacts a lot of organs. Uh, and so that effectively, I did try to race for one more year, but it effectively um, ended my career because I just couldn't race through the pain anymore. Um, professionally, I have a PhD in genetic epidemiology from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. I moved to Colorado in 2003, and when I moved here, I started working at CU Boulder at the Institute for Behavioral Genetics. I spent eight years studying drug use and abuse in adolescents and young adults. So one of the drugs I studied with marijuana, so that was my first, my first life of doing marijuana research. And uh, I had a bit of a hiatus where I was just doing some statistical consulting and my condition got much worse, and I became very desperate because the pain and the insomnia and the spasms and the lack of appetite were becoming just untenable. My husband was encouraging me to use cannabis, and it was legal here recre uh, medically at the time, but the stigma was just too great. As an athlete, um, during my time as an athlete, it was not legal in any form. That's changed. THC is le legal now up to a certain level. And then my work that I was doing at the Institute for Behavioral Genetics was also looking at the very negative aspects of cannabis. And so I just really had this negative feeling toward it. But when it became legal recreationally, it just lifted one of those stigmas. And so I decided to try it. And so I marched into the dispensary and I said, this is what I need it for. Can you help me? And they gave me some patches and some creams and some gummies. And I didn't want to inhale it. I've got asthma. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try the patch. And I put the whole patch on my leg, and I was so high I couldn't move. Um, <laughs> they did not tell me that you need to cut the patch. I'm not a very big person. That was a lot of cannabis for one small person. But I slept. And so as a researcher, uh, I understand that sometimes you you know don't always get things right your first go around. But I looked at the positive, positive aspects of it. I slept. And so I started refining the process. To this day, I'm still always looking at new products and new ways to use them, but uh, it's still part of my daily health and wellness regimen. When I went to the literature to look and see, well, what are other people's, you know, what, have, what has research shown? There was such a dearth of research on the medical benefits of cannabis. It was really just focused on the negative aspects of it, how it affects the brain, how it affects driving, how it can cause psychosis. Um, it looked at cannabis use disorder, but really there wasn't a lot, you know, maybe a little bit on seizure disorders and cancer patients, but not just for regular, you know, medical use for the things I was using it for. And so as an epidemiologist, I was like, well, I can do this. I can, I can do these studies. So I started, uh, I found a group called Cannabis Research Group, and we did our first study in 2018 looking at cannabis use in athletes. And then two years ago, uh, we got nonprofit status, and we continue to do studies in other populations and physician groups in the effort of trying to learn more about patterns of use, adverse effects and benefits, knowledge and attitudes, 
with the goal of being able to educate both patients and physicians and really dialing down into what cannabinoids should people be using, what ratios, what dosages should they be starting at uh, for, you know, is it different for different ailments? And so these are the kinds of things that we're trying to learn as time goes on. Yeah, well, this is this is going to be fascinating because all of those questions are are what need to be explored, um, and uh, in you seem like you got the all the answers, so that's going to be great. I wish I had all the answers, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, an ongoing process. Exactly, exactly. So, Stacy, um, thank you, Joanna, for the background. That's that's awesome to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Stacy, it's good to see you again. I've seen you at some CTS camps back in Colorado, so it's good to cross paths with you again. Uh, for our audience that doesn't know you, could you give a little bit more background on who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I started my career in healthcare, so I was 15 years as um, a healthcare provider, mostly in anesthesiology. Um, so anesthesia deals with, with pain. And, and so I saw a lot of chronic pain. Um, and I, and I did a variety of, of different types of anesthesia over the years and grew a little weary with doing direct patient care. And so went back to business school to say, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but it's not in the hospital. So, um, that found me to, um, commercial real estate development. And then a few years later, through a real estate project, was introduced to the hemp space, so early 2018. And I was int- um, impressed more with the medicinal properties of cannabinoids and as an alternative to, like, dangerous opioids and damaging NSAIDs, like ibuprofen. So I came at it from, like, a pain management perspective um, and as a healthier way to treat people. And I think... Being a you know an athlete, you you're really concerned with what goes into your body, and you care more about how your body performs and and what kind of stuff you're putting into it. So to give plant based alternatives that are that are healthier for us was really kind of what inspired me and has been the passion to to move this forward. Um, I I've always been an athlete, but nowhere near at your level. So it's really hard to follow Joanna anyway in an introduction. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I've done the, I've done a few Ironmans and um, and a lot of big cycling events, and I got to know you and, and CTS. So really impressed with that. And I think um, we have found quite a few customers through the endurance athlete world. I think people are finding you know product, um, cannabis products that really work well for them. So um, four years ago, I started this company Planetary. And we set out to do um, extraction from hemp in a healthier way and leave a more natural raw product. So we um, we have CBDA products. So it's not exactly CBD, but it's the precursor to and the way it's made in the plant. And uh, we have products in the market for a few years now, and I'm definitely growing. So that's that's been my passion for the last four years. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, to our listeners, we've, I think you can see that we've got two great minds in, in a couple different spaces to kind of ask the right questions and drill down into, you know, what CBD is, how to use it, if you should use it, um, if you're an endurance athlete. So I'm going to start real basic. 
again, it just kind of assuming that, you know, our listeners could be regular users or they could be like myself that read some stuff five years ago and was like, Ooh, sounds problematic. And I don't want to put that into my body. So, um, we'll start very basic and then we'll get into it. I might come across as a little critical at times and, uh, and I might come across as ignorant at times. Um, but, uh, that that's where a great conversation I think can start is just by asking really good questions and, and being open to learning. So are you two ready to go? Yep. Alrighty. So let's first start, as I said, super simply, uh, what is CBD and how do we get it? Like, where does it come from and, uh, how do you get it from the plant itself? And Joanna, I would say probably start with you, but I mean, if Stacy, if you're the better one, go for it. So I think that anytime you have a conversation about CBD, I think it's remiss not to talk about the whole plant and the fact that CBD is just one of many cannabinoids. So CBD is what's called a cannabinoid. And there are hundreds of cannabinoids. And the two most popular, famous, infamous, however you want to call it, are CBD and THC. So THC is psychogenic. And CBD, for the most part, is not. I think if you take enough of it, eventually it becomes psychogenic. But at the doses that most people are taking, you will not feel any psychoactive effects from it. Um, so CBD is all the rage because it seems to have less of a stigma than THC. It's also federally legal. Um, since 2018, when they passed the farm bill, hemp uh, became legal. Hemp is uh, also part of the cannabis plant. It is less than 0.3% THC. So it has some THC in it, but minute amounts of it. And so that's what designates it as hemp. And then the other strain of, or other part is marijuana, which we all know about, has the higher levels of THC. And over the years, those levels keep going up. So, you know, back when I was growing up, THC, you know, when you were smoking pot, uh, it didn't have very much THC in it, maybe 8%. And now you can get it up to, you know, 24, 25%. So it's become much stronger over the years. Um, so CBD seems to be all the rage with athletes for two reasons. Number one, um, it feels to be a safer en uh, entree into the world of cannabis. Uh, number two, it's legal uh, with the World Anti-Doping Agency so that they don't even test for it. So you don't have to worry about a positive drug test. Um, and CBD has also, um, without a lot of substantiation, uh, received all of these accolades for just everything from, you know, improving your sleep, from improving pain. Uh, it can grow your hair, your toenails. I don't know. Anything you, will, anything you want. Yeah. Anything you want. <laughs> CBD, uh, COVID, uh, they've talked about that, you know. So it's CBD yeah. is responsible for curing everything. Yeah. Um, that is not the case. Uh, there are a lot of erroneous and false claims that have not been substantiated yet by research. But because it seems innocuous, uh, people gravitate toward it. Uh, but I think any conversation about TB CBD needs to also include THC. Yeah, that's that's a great way to shape it up. Um, and Stacy, kind of along with kind of the history of CBD, when when did we start to know some of the potential health benefits or the medicinal benefits of just the, the oil itself, if you were to separate, you know, the, the THC from the CBD oil, when did this start to become a thing? I think the first documented cases of cannabis use were um, over 3000 years ago in China. Sure. And it was documented in around the 10th, uh, 10th century in Europe. 
Um, the Egyptians around the year 1100 were soaking cannabis plants in ethanol and extracting an oil from it. So that has been around for a really long time. It went away in the um, with prohibition, I guess, late 20s, early 30s. Um, alcohol came back, cannabis didn't. And part of that, kind of an interesting fun fact, is a great example of propaganda and demonization. And it was more against the fiber. So there was an individual whose business was more dependent upon timber. And so he didn't want the competing hemp, which is actually grows faster and has better benefits. Um, and so the, the propaganda came out against, against hemp slash cannabis. And the marijuana name is, is debated now because it has some stigma and it was kind of intended as a racist comment against the Mexicans that were coming over with marijuana at the time. And, and so they were really painting this out to be the devil's lettuce and this like really terrible things about the plant. Fast forward a lot of years later, I mean, I think it was 2009 when Dr. Sanjay Gupta had his um, his special on, on Charlotte Figge and, and kind of where things are evolving and this can be used against children with epilepsy and there are some potential medicinal benefits. And I think to Joanna's point, the, the, the decaffeinated side, as I call it, the CBD side tended to be a little more benign. So that's why I think that became more popular. But to take it from a plant perspective, a little show and tell, this is just a little bud of cannabis. So the genetics are called cannabis sativa. It's a legal designation that says if the THC levels are less than 0.3, it's called hemp. And if it's over that, it's called marijuana. And that's the plant is still cannabis sativa. But within this plant, for example, there are over a hundred identified and named individual cannabinoid molecules. So this exact plant may not have that many. And most of the time we test for like eight to 10 individual cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. But the most prominent one is CBDA. That's what's made by the plant. Through processing with heat and chemicals, it decarboxylates and becomes CBD. So as that was the most prominent cannabinoid, and the most popular way of extracting it, I think that particular molecule became the most popular and the most named. But that is, CBD is the name of one individual molecule, and there are such many in the plant. Um, the plant also makes THCA, which gets decarboxylated into THC. So those are the two most popular ones. There's also CBGA, and there's a few others. So now as studies are coming out, some are looking at individual molecules and some are looking at the plant as a whole and, and how they kind of act together. So I think the, the industry is, is generically called the CBD industry, but that technically just designates one molecule. And there's so much more to the plant. Gotcha. Yeah, that's and a I, good I, history I would, lesson. I, I should also add that something that many people don't know is that our bodies have something called the endocannabinoid system. So we have a lot of systems. We have the respiratory system. Uh, we have the, uh, I don't know, name the system. Uh, Cardiovascular system. The Cardiovascular system. system. There you go. <laughs> there you go. My brain went blank for a second, system. as it does, my, my post-COVID <laughs> brain. But anyway, we, we also have a system called the endocannabinoid system. And so that is in our body. We actually have receptors, uh, and that's why when you uh, – 
consume cannabis that you have the effects that you do is because we actually naturally have receptors in our bodies to which those bind. And so cannabis is an exogenous cannabinoid, meaning it's coming from outside the body. But we also make endogenous cannabinoids, meaning that they are made within our bodies, that we produce them ourselves. And we have two of them that bind to these receptors. And, and this system is also, you know, intertwined with some other systems in the body. But the reason why cannabis works is because it's not an accident that we actually are programmed for cannabis. We have this system already in play in our body, and some people may be deficient in some of the endogenous endocannabinoids, which is why they respond very well. Um, some people may have enough. Everybody's system is different. Some may have more receptors, CB1, which is what THC binds to. Uh, CB2 loosely binds to CB1. And CB2. And so, and some of the resources, like, uh, CB1 receptors are mostly in the brain, uh, and that's where THC binds, and that's why you get a lot of these psychoactive effects, whereas CB2 is mostly in the periphery and the gut, and so that's why a lot of the studies on irritable bowel syndrome or IBD, ulcerative colitis, um, they focus on CBD trying to improve gut health. And so when you're trying to figure out uh, what ailment you want to treat, uh, you can go online. They have all these charts of where these receptors are, and you can look and see, well, gee, I kind of have pain there, or I've got depression, or, or I've got this or that. You can look at those receptors and decide maybe CBD would be better for this particular thing, but maybe THC might be better for this, or a combination of both. So it's not an accident that cannabis is medicinal because we are set up for it. Yeah, we're, it seems like we're hardwired to receive these, uh, chemicals, um, to help our bodies out in some form or fashion, uh, the physical self, the cognitive self, something like that. Um, and I, I mean, is that maybe in part why like USADA and WADA have changed their stance a little bit on, on allowing CBD and even a little THC to be, um, acceptable? Uh, within an athlete? Well, I think part of why they've taken CBD off is because it's now federally legal. So there, there is no restriction on its use, and it's never proven to be a performance-enhancing drug. Uh, THC is still federally illegal. Um, it's legal in some states. Um, some states have medical only. Some states have both medical and adult use or what recreational use. Uh, but it's still federally illegal. So that puts WADA in a little bit of a difficult situation of being able, you know, I'm all in favor of WADA just taking THC, all cannabis off the list. I mean, I'm going to put that right out there. I don't think it should be banned. But I think one of the reasons why it is banned is, one, is that there's not enough information about whether or not it's performance enhancing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it is, primarily, maybe secondarily. Um, and the other is that it's not federally legal. And so I think it's hard for WADA to make something legal that's not federally legal. And it's also not legal in most of the world. And WADA is the world anti-doping. So even if it was legalized here in the U.S., I don't know if that would change their stance because it's not legal in other parts of the world. But they, at least it's not completely illegal. It is a threshold drug. So if you get tested and you do have some THC in your system, as long as it's below the threshold that they have set forth, um, which I think is 125 nanograms per milliliter, um, you will not have a doping positive. But here's the question. How much cannabis is that? And here's the answer. 
Nobody knows. It's different for everybody. So, you know, five milligrams could set somebody off. A hundred milligrams could set somebody off. It's really unknown what amounts of THC are going to give you that positive. And I also have a theory that hard exercise releases THC back into your bloodstream. So even if you haven't used THC in some time, uh, if you're at a, doing a very hard workout or you do a race where the effort's very high, I, uh, I think some THC can actually uh, get released back out, which could give you a positive, even if you haven't used it in quite some time. Okay. So like the current status for athletes, just to throw it out there, is CBD is not banned. Correct. THC up to a certain level is acceptable, but beyond that, it's not. But However... Banned in competition, though. Banned in competition. Okay. Um, so so even if they're not in competition, they come in, they get tested, they can still have higher THC? They can have it up to 125 milligrams per milliliter. Right. So so not even in... So in Nan- non-competition... Nan- sorry, nanograms per milliliter. Nanograms. Okay. Yeah, nanograms. So in non-competition time, they can have up to that, correct? I think even if you get tested in competition, if your level is below that... It's okay, but you cannot use it during competition. So it's okay. not like you could be in the middle of a race and pop a gummy or you know <laughs> smoke a joint. Yeah, exactly. So my overall point here is, like, and, and then you said it too, is like, well, how much is that? How can you tell? It's like the current status to athletes is kind of walking a little bit of a fine line if you're in the testing pool of sorts when you're taking this stuff. So just yes, correct. you got to be real careful. You, I mean, really, the only way that you can be sure that you're not going to test positive is not to use it. Yes. Or to just use a CBD isolate. Exactly. Now, I will say, too, probably the majority of our listeners are don't have to worry about that. However, for those Masters athletes you know, chasing world championships, the professional athletes out there that are in a testing pool, just so you know, you probably already do, but... Uh, that you, you need to know all of that information, right? And, and that's the world that Joanna lived in for quite some time. So, right. You have to know what you're putting in your body. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So with some of that as, as a risk to the athletes, you know, we've already kind of a given a nod to some potential benefits, um, but we haven't explicitly talked about those. Stacy, what, what are some of the benefits that I, I'd say are legit benefits? benefits, not the hundred point list of curing cancer and all this kind of stuff that I just read this morning, uh, on the internet of things. Uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about some of the solid, uh, potential benefits to endurance athletes? Yeah. So we wrote a white paper that was a meta analysis of all the scientific peer reviewed journal articles on CBDA specifically, because the way we extract Using water keeps it in the raw, natural form, the way it's made in the plant, which is predominantly CBDA. So specifically looking at at that, um, the biggest one is anti-inflammation, and that is by way of the COX-2 receptors. So it's a naturally selective COX-2 inhibitor, and COX, it's it's an acronym, and you probably wouldn't have heard of it, but... Yeah, what does that mean, by the way? But just if you can explain it... Is the, is the acronym, but it's the pathways by which ibuprofen can block mm-hmm. the inflammation in your knee, right? So yep. for the cyclooxygenase or the COX receptors, there's one and two. One blocks prostaglandins, which 
actually has detrimental effects on your stomach. So that's where you can have like bleeding stomach ulcers, as I did before, from taking ibuprofen or also um, kidney issues. So I had a friend um, that was an anesthesiologist with me, ran a marathon, was taking ibuprofen. Afterwards, his kidneys completely shut down and he ended up getting a transplant. And it was, so that's like the, the negative side, right? That's the, the, the right. bad side effects that happens when you take these non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like Aleve, ibuprofen, Motrin, etc. Um, the other pathway, the ones that, just the way that they work and modulate inflammation is the COX-2. Um, and that's, that's where CPDA is actually more effective per milligram than ibuprofen on those COX-2, but that's the anti-inflammatory pathway. So that's something unique. CBD actually does not do that. CBD has some anti-inflammatory properties, but it's through different, different modalities and different receptor groups, more related to the endocannabinoid system. So the, I think the inflammation is a big one. Most of our modern diseases are inflammatory in nature. So even a lot of the, the stress and anxiety they're showing is, is neuroinflammation. So on a, on a microcellular level, there's inflammation and that leads to litany of symptoms. I mean, there's a whole lot of inflammatory type. And as an athlete, that's mostly what you're getting. That's the swollen knee. That's the sore shoulder. That's, you know, yep. even some of the headaches and stuff. So that's a big one. Um, another big one is anti-nausea. And this is another one where actually CPDA is, is more potent than CBD, but both have actions on the serotonin 5-HT1A receptors. So that's the receptor that, that when you're really nervous before a race and you feel nauseous, that's thanks to your serotonin receptors. So CBD and CBDA can act on those receptors to help prevent or treat anticipatory nausea. Also, it's great for like chemotherapy-induced nausea and kind of some other forms of it. Um, so those are probably the biggest two. Mm -hmm. There's also some neuroprotective benefits, which means if you had it in your system, your brain is less likely to be physically traumatized from a head injury, be it a bike wreck or, you know, a boxing match and you got hit in the head. So there's, there's some good benefits on there. Some people talk about better sleep better anxiety relief. Um, so there's, and then it starts getting a little squishy. My favorite of the worst claims, Joanna, was this, this site. Someone that I knew sent me this and said, check this out. They have CBD gummies to, to cure diabetes. I was like, well, right off the bat, gummies are made with sugar, and that's not really what... Anyway, there are yeah. so many false claims. There's some good irony there. Yeah. With all of the noise, it does tend to attenuate what what is real and what is um, scientifically based and, and research proven. So, I try to stick with the big ones that we can we can name the studies over and over where this has been shown to modulate inflammation and reduce nausea. I, I saw I, I saw one where CBD could um, help soothe your asthma. Wow! Wow! That is wildly impressive, soothing asthma. <laughs> <laughs> um, words. Yeah. yeah, great, great words. Um, so here, here may be Adam Ignoramus Pulford talking here, but uh, I've tried some CBD, like soft gels and stuff like that over the years, and everything that Stacy just described, I will say, if, 
I will say I did not experience in terms of, um, you know, promised benefits and all this kind of stuff. Now I'm, I'm super thankful. I don't have chronic pain. I don't have all this kind of stuff. Sure. I'm an athlete, you know, train hard, crash, go boom. You get some inflammation, <laughs> um, whatnot. And you know, so then elevate the legs, get good sleep and rock and roll. However, I have not experienced any of that, Joanna or Stacy. Um, any insights on that with the person who takes it and is like, ah, didn't work for me. I'm over it. Well, let me ask you this. Please do. Number one, do you know what brand you were using? And number two, how many milligrams of CBD were you taking? Uh, number two, no idea. Number one, maybe have an idea. You don't have to say. You don't have to say. What yeah, I was gonna say. I don't want to be like super brand, whatever. Yeah, the brand, but brand matters. I got it from a bike race because they had it like set up there. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I'll take this afterwards. All good. But I have, I mean, I have no idea how many milligrams. I can't really remember the brand, but let's just, let's just give you that. But it was a little yeah. capsule. It had, um, you, you could like see the fluid in it and it was small. I don't know. Yeah. So I think one of the major problems, uh, for people who say, gee, I don't feel anything with CBD. Well, there's, there are a few. Number one is some people just don't respond to CBD. I mean, it's hmm. like any other medicine, you know, there's lots of medicines on the market for things like depression and one works for one person, but not for another. And cannabis is no different. People respond very differently to it. Some people have horrendous experiences with THC. They, they get psychosis or they get really anxious or they vomit from it. To THC people, or to CBD? To, to THC. I'm using THC as an example. Gotcha. Okay. Because, gotcha. because the, the effects are so profound and you can really feel them, whereas CBD are a little bit more subtle. Yeah. Um, so, you know, THC, uh, you know, for some people it's wonderful and it's great and they feel good on it and it helps their ailments. Whereas other people say, I never want to touch this stuff again. <laughs> CBD is no different. See, everyone's going to have a different reaction to it. Uh, some people are going to say, wow, that really helped my sore knee. And then there'll be people like yourself who don't feel anything. So there are some responders and non-responders, but then there's also the question of dosage and what dose are you taking and what is a dose? And there is we were talking about uh, ibuprofen. And so when you go to your local pharmacy and you buy over-the-counter ibuprofen, a dose is a dose. It's uh, 200 milligrams. Uh, it doesn't matter where you buy it. A pill is 200 milligrams uh, if you buy it over-the-counter. CBD is not like that. CBD, a dose could be 5 milligrams. It could be 50 milligrams. Um, you could buy capsules that are 25 milligrams. And so a dose is very different for everybody. And so it could be that the dose that you're taking is too low for you to feel an effect. And many of the clinical trials that are out there are using anywhere from one milligram to five milligrams per kilogram. And so if you're a 60 or 65 kilogram person and you're on that higher end, that's a lot of CBD. And if you're taking five or 10 milligrams of CBD, you may not have an effect at all because you are not taking a therapeutic dose. And everybody's therapeutic dose is going to be different. So I want to get into dosage here in, in just a bit. I want to come back to that because I think that that's super important. It's also some questions that I've gotten from athletes when I'm saying, hey, I'm doing this podcast on CBD. I know nothing. What kind of questions do you want to learn? So we'll get there in just a minute. Um, so, but to that point as well, so if I know nothing about, you know, the, the actual dosage, um, that I took, like what else? So am I like a non-responder or like what else is going on within my experience, if you will? 
Well, it also could be that you purchased a product that doesn't have any CBD in it. So no CBD, CBD in it. Yeah, correct. So <laughs> CBD is not. So anything that you buy at a dispensary, at least here in Colorado, and I believe that's true for any place, mm-hmm. it's been tested by a state-regulated lab. So it has a label on it, and it tells you exactly what's in it. So it has X amount of THC and X amount of CBD and X amount of whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you're, and it comes with a certificate of analysis, a COA. And gotcha. so you know what you're getting. With CBD, the testing is not so rigorous, and you can buy that anywhere. You can buy it on the internet, you can buy it at the grocery store, you can buy it at the pharmacy. Um, it does not come with a certificate of analysis. Um, it can just be anything. And so when third-party independent uh, groups have gone and just bought hundreds of bottles of CBD off the shelf, they have found astonishing results uh, of products having in it what is not on the label. So either it has more CBD or less CBD. It might have THC when it says it has no THC. Um, There could be other unsafe products for human consumption in there. And so they actually will rank these products, um, and some of them are actually very good, um, and they put on their websites their certificates of analysis because they have had their products tested uh, by a third party. Awesome. Stacy's so good about that. Uh, and so, for, for those of us joining on YouTube, Stacy is having uh, some visual aids to, to help us in this conversation. <laughs> Just wanted to throw that out there for anyone not watching. But anyway, sorry, Joanna, keep going. So the, the type of CBD that you purchase also is going to play a very big role in whether or not it works because if the product does not have CBD in it, you will not have an effect. So I always tell people, make sure you're buying your product from a reputable company that is very transparent about their product with their certificates of analysis. They're not making these unsubstantiated claims. So if you go to a website and they're promising you the world, that's probably not a good product. So Stacy, one of my questions on the outline was how regulated is the CBD industry? <laughs> we probably just answered that, but like any more, any more insights for, to that? I would love to. So it's it's really not regulated. There are some states that have criteria, like the state of Colorado does have some criteria on on testing, but that is recent, actually, as of last year. So um, quality matters, right? Would you sign up for an Ironman and then go to Walmart and get a like a kid's huffy bike? Probably not. Like you're gonna you're gonna get a reputable brand or get the right equipment. So if you're gonna buy a CBD product, I would also get something reputable and, and high quality because, you know, as she mentioned, they've done these exposés and um, there's a lab, like a nerd forum that we follow that a lot of chemists love to pull products off the shelf and then test. And they're not only testing for what's supposed to be in there, but they're finding things that are not supposed to be in there. And we can talk about that later when you bring up some of the other isomers. But um, the show and tell visual is, is a planetary product. This is our infusion. It's comparable to like a tincture. And then on every label, the box and the label itself, we have the QR code. QR code will take you to our website where we're going to have a certificate of analysis. So every single batch we ever make, the raw material and the finished product, gets what we call a full suite of testing. So we're testing for the potency, which is going to say that Ours is labeled for the milligrams of CBDA, and what this label says you can verify is what's in the uh, bottle. We're also testing for pesticides, 
which are not used in any of our plants, and we're using USDA. We are USDA organic certified, which is very rare. And so that's one of the criteria is that there's no pesticides used in growing it. Um, and there's also residual solvents, which we don't use any solvents, so that one's negative. But most products are extracted with ethanol or hexane or pentane or other um, flammable solvents. So you want to look and make sure those levels are low of what's in your final product because those can have negative impacts in the body as well. Um, and then also we're looking for microbials and mycotoxins. So there have been yeast and mold and, and some other sort of bad things found in products. So those are things. And now the state of Colorado mandates that those six tests be done on final products. Now, is it enforced? That's a good question. <laughs> so there are still plenty of companies gotcha. that aren't necessarily showing that or aren't really showing what's in it. Um, but, you know, when you go to, if you go to Whole Foods and you buy an organic apple, has that ever been tested for pesticides? No. But you're trusting that, that it is going to be okay and it is going to be healthy. This industry being pretty new and, and vastly unregulated, it's, it is the wild, wild west. The great thing about the, the THC side and dispensaries is those are tested. Right? And when we register our products actually through the same metric system, so they, they verify all the testing. And if you're buying at a dispensary, what is on the label is, is pretty well verified for what's in it. But if you, um, back to your question about not feeling anything, because we hear that a lot, you know, if you bought a, a little cheap bottle from 7-Eleven and you put two drops in your mouth, not only is that a sub-therapeutic dose for any adult, but that's, you know, what was the quality and what's actually in the product. I, I'm of the opinion, and I, and I totally could be wrong, but that it does work at some level for everyone, but CBD, CBDA is more subtle, and it might take a lot higher doses than what people are consuming and I say that because of the receptor group. I think the way it works on the receptor, it, it will, but it may just take a lot higher dose. And some people's physiology are different. I'm a redhead, so I have really high tolerance for um, for the, the – I mean, I, I don't feel it. I mean, most people don't, like, feel a CBD product, like, in your head. It's not like you're, oh, suddenly your mentation totally changes, but – but the pain and the inflammation may change or the nausea may change. And it maybe generally is with plant medicine subtle enough that you, it's not so aha. Now, big doses of THC will definitely give you the aha at times. But yeah, I think, I think the dosage that people are taking and the quality are the biggest factors. Gotcha. Okay. So from the, say, regulatory standpoint, there's, there's some governance, let's just say, at least in Colorado, that has some guidance and maybe a little bit of oversight, but not a ton. And so it's really left up to the company to take on that responsibility for themselves. To, Like you just kind of showed us there, it's like, here's what's in our product, here's our product kind of thing. And it's up to the consumer to be able to look at that and be able to oh, totally. distinguish, distinguish between companies that are reputable and those that are not. And I don't think we're used to that. Like to my Apple example, you're not, no. you're not checking brands or, or COAs on your Apple and, and you may not even on, on some other things, you know, you're just like, well, I'm sure it's fine, right? This pharmaceutical I just picked up from Walgreens is, I'm sure it's fine. Someone tested this, right? And I don't think For we sure. are 
quite as programmed to like question it, you know, but when you pick an olive oil, what do you look for? Are you looking for cold pressed? Are you looking for extra virgin olive oil? That's kind of an analogy on like, there's a lot of ways to do it. So if the consumer is, you know, is educated enough to know to pick the quality product. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's also, you know, I think it speaks to one, one of the primary reasons why I want to do this podcast is just get more information to people that are curious so that they have uh, more informed decision-making um, for themselves, right? So that they, as opposed to myself, it's like, oh, I read something about it five years ago. I'm going to stay away from it. It's like, yeah, stuff's changed, right? Um, now, go back to my example here real quick. I, I do know that this the CBD product that I got was from, like it was made in Colorado. And so if I took some, we know that, so it didn't, I didn't feel anything sensationally, whether it had any effect, who knows, right? Um, so it could have been a dosage issue. Um, I don't know if there was anything else in it necessarily, but I also read that CBD works pretty darn good with just a touch of THC. Is that true? And why does that happen? Well, there's something called the entourage effect, and that is the combination of the whole plant is what has the most effect. And so when you take out certain cannabinoids, the isolates, that it may not work as well as the plant in its entirety. And Got so it. even, I always say that the THC sort of kicks that CBD into gear. And the, the nice thing is, is that when you combine the CBD with the THC, if you do it at the right ratio, mm -hmm. the CBD will actually take away or ameliorate that high that you get from the THC. So I am a medical cannabis user and I use cannabis during the day, but I don't want to be high during the day because that will impede my ability to work. So I buy it in ratios that are higher in CBD than they are in THC. So I'm getting some beneficial effects of the THC, but the CBD and beneficial effects from the CBD. So I'm getting both together, but the CBD is taking away that high of the THC so that I can go about my work and do what I need, but get the effects that I want. Interesting. And you, you said that was the entourage effect? The entourage effect. I do like that term. Um, it is, one thing, it's, a, it's a nifty term. It's a, a nifty, nifty term. term. It was first done in, in Israel years ago, and, it, and it's been repeated over and over. And, and what it is, it's like every part of the plant in concert works together than just even pieces of the whole. And so there's synergistic effects, and some of it is linked to, there's a study that came out of um, Australia last summer that showed kind of the building blocks of the, the acidic cannabinoids help the, the, the others bind to additional receptors. And then there are also a big role of like the flavonoids, which are natural plant materials. So having that whole plant is greater than just pulling out one or two isolated molecules of cannabinoids. So when I've spoken to nutritionists and even I did a, an episode on the train right podcast with um, another company that had, they were using plant uh, phytochemicals in their product and in basically what they said to, they didn't use the fancy term entourage effect, but what they alluded to was, you know, the reason why we put X amount in as opposed to one is because we tested and we know that this one thing, if this is what we want, works way better in synergy with the rest of these chemicals. And that it is all plant-based. It's all coming from that. So it's, there's a lot of parallels kind of coming in from, I guess the stuff I know to what we're talking about right now, which is, which is really good to hear. 
Yeah. But so the entourage effect, effect is... It's like 2 plus 2 equals 5. It's greater than yeah. the, the sum of the parts. Exactly. Yeah. That's super cool. Did not know that. Um, so... So in, in that effect, where my brain goes, and this is again, like maybe a little bit of a criticism, but if THC is a psychoactive stuff that makes me feel good, right? Um, and CBD is there and there's some entourage effect going on, um, perhaps then could it be like toothpaste where, and this is something that I learned about toothpaste is the foaming action of toothpaste does nothing to clean. But it feels really cool and it has this like sensation that's going on, similar to like the mint as well. The mint kind of freshens, but doesn't do anything for cleaning. So in a product that has CBD, could you add in just a little bit more THC just to make you like feel good, to make you want to take more? Or is that like a strategy that some companies use? Or like, is there more to it than that? And I think we covered it with the entourage effect, but is that something to watch out for for consumers? There are some that, that do kind of have little recipes and blend different pieces. On the hemp side, on the CBD side, we're limited that the THC content cannot be above 0.3%. So a lot of people get really close. In Colorado, it's 0.39%. But we can't go above that and still be legal. Now, is it done? Uh, okay. I'm sure. In the dispensary, on, on the regulated marijuana side, they're they can play with the ratios quite a bit more. But if your goal is to get high, then you most um, don't want much CBD because to Joanna's point, it tends to attenuate the high. Interestingly, CBDA does not do that. So, um, but there are, there are, it's allowed to kind of mix and blend if whatever your desired effect is. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's fair, right? Cause it's, you know, the, the practice of, um, if it's already working and in intellectually, you know, that the entourage effect is, is occurring and that there is some benefit there. You can also, ex, you know, experiment with the sensational aspect of it too. And it's, but as long as it's kind of within reason or within like the kind of the, the governance that you said, it's like, that's all yeah. good. Okay. Well, people take it for such different reasons that they kind of goal with the product and, and even the same person, you may you may want a product to help you sleep, and you want higher THC for that. But you may want a product in the morning, um, so you don't have pain during the day, and therefore you right. would not want high THC. So you may actually have different, even within one individual, have different kind of products for different use cases. That's what I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, that's higher, interesting. Higher THC for sleep, or only THC for sleep, yeah. but more CBD during the day. Yeah. So that, that's the thing is that there is no recipe of what's going to work and right. everybody is so different and everybody's needs are so different. And so it's going to take some self-experimentation to figure out what works the best. And mm -hmm. the mantra in the world of cannabis is start low, go slow. So that means that you start at a low dose and you stay there for a little while and then you just titrate up very slowly because you want to take the lowest therapeutic dose possible. So if you, if 25 milligrams of CBD work for you, then there's no need to take 50 milligrams of CBD. And same with THC, if five milligrams is adequate for you to sleep, no need to take 10. So you want to find that lowest dose that works for your needs. Um, and I should also give a caveat that cannabis is not without its side effects, and there could also be interactions with other pharmaceuticals that somebody's taking. And so if somebody has never taken cannabis before, and they're going to embark on a cannabis you know, journey, it is good to speak with somebody, a, a physician or a cannabis nurse 
to find out whether it's compatible with their needs and the medications that they're on. Excellent. So I want to I want to segue to dosage since you just covered that, but what you just said there in terms of like a cannabis nurse or a physician, like I was thinking physician, is any general practitioner going to know what to say to that? Not so really. how no, do you, fi- how do you find a cannabis nurse or a cannabis doctor? Or well, it's, it's starting to no change. Idea. And actually I, I taught a class to a medical school, but, but back, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, we're not teaching anything about cannabis or the endocannabinoid system or hardly nutrition even in medical no. school. Yeah. So exactly. so most most physicians in my experience are going to be like, well, I don't know. I learned it as a drug and I, I don't know what it does. Um, and then you also hear people say there's never been an overdose death from cannabis. And I, I think that's still true. Although there are plenty that go to the hospital with hyperemesis is constantly vomiting because they took 500 milligrams on a gummy or something. So it's not, to her point, it's not without side effects for sure. Um, but the reason with the pharmaceutical bit is because cannabis is metabolized in our livers in the cytochrome P450 system, which is the same way that like alcohol and most all pharmaceuticals are. So if you're taking like antidepressants, SSRIs end up being a common one because those particular drugs have really long half-life. It tends to accumulate more. And so if you have more of those enzymes trying to break down, metabolize, the pharmaceuticals, you don't have as many available for the cannabis or vice versa. And so you get a little higher blood levels because it's not being broken down as readily. And that's something that's very individual and hard to know, but it can be affected by pharmaceuticals that you're taking. So there is like a, is it called Cannabis Nurses Association? Yeah. Well, there's LEAF 411 that uh, is in Colorado that you can call and have a discussion about it and uh, I find that cannabis nurses really have a lot of information and have had a lot of education or, and help patients uh, immensely. And uh, to Stacy's point, physicians do not know a lot about cannabis. And we actually did a study in a group of allergists, uh, an international study uh, in Europe, Canada, and the U.S. And the knowledge was not as good as we would have liked because uh, their patients can have uh, adverse effects if they're smoking. You know, allergists are seeing patients with asthma, and right. if you have asthma, you really shouldn't be smoking or vaping cannabis. You don't want to inhale it because it's not good for your lungs. And so these doctors need to be able to talk to their patients about cannabis because it so happens that we also did a study in allergic and asthmatic individuals, and they are using cannabis, and they're inhaling it, and they have uncontrolled asthma, and they're coughing. And so there's this disconnect between what the patients are doing and what the doctors know. And so one of the, one of the grants that we have through our foundation is to create educational materials for allergists so that they can learn about the endocannabinoid system, the history of cannabis, the nomenclature, and how to talk to their patients about cannabis. Mm-hmm. Another organization that's, awesome. that's, that's based in Colorado, but it's a nonprofit organization around for many years, is Realm of Caring. And so they're... They have a website, realmofcaring.org. Um, they're actually based in the Springs, and, and they have manned phones. So you can call and talk to a trained cannabis um, provider and or what are they, I think, educator. So they can give dosing instructions, and they, they range from, like, children with autism and seizure disorders all the way to, like, terminal cancer patients to the 40-year-old cyclist that just gets 
neck pain after a long ride. So they, they're trained to, to kind of educate and give dosing advice on a wide litany. And the nice thing is they're, they're independent, right? They're not representing any brand. Um, and they do CBD, THC, or minor cannabinoids. So, um, they're actually a great source for education as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. We'll link to all those in our show notes as well, because I know we have some research from Joanna that we'll include in there too. Um, but back to dosage, since we are kind of talking about dosage and, and finding out, try, trying to get our listeners, if they are curious, to find out how to do this. Um, you said start low, go slow. And I like that, makes sense. So how low to start? And I'd say, let's just use ignoramus adam over here as an example um and i maybe say 70 kilograms or so um a very non-user of sorts where would you say i should start from a standpoint of cbd usage so i actually have and i'm going to try and find it yeah yeah i was going to say Looks I like actually Joanna's have, looking for uh, yeah, it's called a uh, routine protocol for medical cannabis dosing and administration. And this is a published paper, um, from 2021 and, uh, uh, Boscar et al in journal of cannabis research. I want to give them credit where credit's due. And it was published, uh, in, I think of March of last year. And so this is their dosing recommendation. So they say that you start with CBD, a CBD predominant and the CBD starting dose would be five milligrams twice per day. Then the titration up would be to 10 milligrams per day every two to, uh, to increase that to 10 milligrams a day every two to three days. So you'd start with five milligrams twice a day. And then every two to three days, you'd increase that 10 milligrams until you get to a dose that you feel, gee, I'm at a dose that feels good or it's doing what I want it to do. Um, if the patient is not reaching goals when CBD predominant dose is greater than or equal to 40 milligrams per day, then you start adding THC. Ah, that's how you do okay. it. So once gotcha. you get to 40 milligrams of CBD, then you start to add the THC and then you start your THC dose with your CBD dose at 2.5 milligrams of THC. And then you increase by 2.5 milligrams every two to seven days until goals are met or a maximum, maximum dose of 40 milligrams per day of THC is reached. Maximum of how much? 40 milligrams per day of THC, which gotcha. is... To me, that sounds like a lot, but for some people, it's not. So everybody's different. But anyway, so the, this is the yeah. recommendation that was given in this paper. Got you. Um, yeah, that does sound like a lot. And I will send you a PDF of this, and maybe you could put that up yeah. because I know that's hard to understand, and it was a lot of information. And so I've got a nice chart that shows that. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think that's awesome. I mean, it's very similar to like a like a – air pressure calculator, uh, for <laughs> athletes trying to figure out how, how low to take their diet pressure these days. Um, cause it all depends. Right. And, yeah. um, but starting to explore. That actually right? sounds uh, lower than I would have expected on the CBD side. The dosages. I, I was just going to say the CBD sounded lower. The THC sounded higher. And the only reason why I say that the CBD sounded lower is because you were talking about some research where it was like, something like like one, one to five one to five milligrams per kilogram is what per they kilogram yeah because i was yeah. like wait what i so mean that's like, a yeah so the, huge variance there was a big study that came out in january from oregon state university um dr richard van bremen at all 
And they found CBDA plus CBGA blocks the transmission of COVID. And they go into the explanation on kind of the lock and key effects of receptors. And so the ACE receptor, the outside of the cell, is how the virus transmits itself from cell to cell. CBDA, CBGA, layman's terms, kind of changes the shape of that key so that it can no longer enter the cell. So then the question is, well, what dosage were you talking about? Um, and in the study, if you, we did the math, they kind of calculated out, it comes up to be like 800 milligrams, which is doable. That's, that's a big dose. I actually take pretty high doses myself in CBDA. It's I just do. very cost, very cost prohibitive. It's cost prohibitive. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's, it's cost prohibitive, but on a more practical standpoint, I try to bring things back to like what's practical and what can I, you know, recommend to patients that that's everyday usable. The, state, the Portland Business Journal asked the researcher, because there's there's not a lot of CBDA on the market, they they actually found us, they looked at our COAs, and he said, yes, that would work. So all of a sudden we're selling tons of these soft gels because he said, yes, this particular thing, right? So now we've taken the data from those customers that have purchased and look, um, we'll be publishing soon, looked at how many of them had COVID compared to the national average at that point if they were ingesting CBDA. And I can tell you, none of them were taking anywhere near that high a dose. Most were in the 25 to 50 range. So like on a practical dosing standpoint, um, we often see people starting at like 25 milligrams, uh, maybe a little bit lower, but kind of start with that. And then I got, actually would split it to twice a day before you start taking more at once because the half-life is relatively short. And so depending on what you're taking it for, but we have a lot of people take like take it twice a day and then you can get your kind of round the clock benefits. And it is a slow, gradual buildup. So um, I fully agree with the start slow, start low and take it slow. Gotcha. Especially, especially with THC. Oh, more, so than yeah. with CB, <laughs> yeah. more so than with CBD. Yeah. 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 It makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, so as it pertains to kind of like the endurance athlete speaking to uh, some of the benefits that you can get, um, I've read s- stuff on labels like uh, full spectrum CBD or broad spectrum CBD. Um, what does that mean? Is that important? And anything else that you want to speak to on the spectrums, if you will? It's a. It's become a, an actual legal definition on labels. It's in Colorado. The so full spectrum indicates that it's all of the cannabinoids that were grown in that plant, and the genetics of each plant will kind of fluctuate the ratios. But there may be five to a hundred cannabinoids in in a plant. So full spectrum means that you extracted everything that was in that plant, all the cannabinoids, um, and then either the flavonoids or the terpenes. So it's the idea of getting whole plant. And the purpose of that is back to the entourage effect. If you're getting a full spectrum, you're getting the entourage effect. If you're pulling out an isolate, you're getting one isolated molecule, which has benefits, but not as much as the full spectrum. Gotcha. And then what is broad spectrum? Broad spectrum can mean they took two isolates and put it together. So it's kind of everything in between. If you say an isolate and a full spectrum are the two, like the two um, bookends boundaries, broad spectrum can be everything in between. And what some companies do is 
they'll take a CBD molecule and a CBG or a CBN, or they'll kind of mix a couple of isolates together. Okay. And so my brain goes in two different ways. One kind of back to the athlete in the testing pool. Do they need to worry about taking something that is full spectrum or broad spectrum since it is so broad and in what it's encapsulating there? Or is that advantageous to somebody in, in the, just to get the benefits out of CBD? What are the implications, I guess, for an athlete in a testing pool in that regard? I think it is advantageous to have full spectrum. And if it's, if it's, a CBD product or something kind of on the decaffeinated side, it is by law across the U.S. less than 0.3% THC. So that's a pretty low amount, and that's by dry weight. So you're going to have a low amount of THC. Um, and so the likelihood of having a positive test over that threshold is pretty low. Um, but for people like we have, like say it's uh, someone in the military, who's apt to get drug tested and you're really concerned about any THC, um, that's where topicals can be really nice. Because a topical acts on local receptors and you get about 10% systemic absorption. So once it's diluted into a topical, which is typically more dilute than ingestible, and then you've got um, what little is absorbed systemically, the chances are incredibly low. So I, actually we can, some of those products, you know, you, you know, Still pass the drug test. Gotcha. And Joanna, did you have anything to add to that? Well, I, we did a study uh, in athletes a few years ago, and we didn't look at dosing uh, because people are historically not very good at reporting how much they're taking. Just like when they <laughs> asked you how much are you taking and you didn't know, that that's very common is that most people don't really know how much they're taking, and that's because of a variety of reasons. But people do know if they're using CBD or THC. Um, that, that they can tell you with good um, accuracy. And we did find in our study that athletes who were using a combination of CBD and THC, uh, uh, sorry, either using THC by itself or CBD in combination with THC had the most benefit for things like improved sleep, more energy, um, decreased pain, decreased anxiety, um, more calm. Um, but on the flip side, they also had more adverse effects. Um, they were reported at a much lower rate. Um, and some of the adverse effects that we saw with people who were using THC or the combination of THC and CBD were things, uh, ironically enough, it increases anxiety and it also decreases anxiety. It's, it's one of those drugs that if you get the dosage right, it can be helpful for anxiety, but if you don't get it right, it could cause anxiety. So people did report anxiety, uh, lack of concentration, and increased appetite. Those were the three major ones that we saw. Some very serious events like cardiovascular or respiratory were reported at quite a low rate. Gotcha. Yeah, oh, bell curves to everything. Right? It's a biphasic response, actually, with THC and yeah. CBD. If a little does this, but actually too much, you, know, you can take it for nausea, but if you take too much, you actually get nauseous. That's actually right. another unique thing with the aesthetics. CBDA is completely linear. You don't have that biphasic response. Interesting. Interesting. So along with that, I, I think it's important to know, I mean, you, you mentioned like a, like a topical um, CBD. We didn't talk about that. We were kind of talking about pills and tictures so far. Um, are, so I, I assume that there is some benefits to, uh, topical balms or solves or whatever. 
is it just as effective, a little less effective, more effective? Uh, can you speak to that a little bit more in terms of like where an athlete should start if they're like, oh, I don't want to put that in my body, but I'll put it on my body. Yeah, it's different. Different. Okay. Our, um, our muscle rub is actually a Chris Carmichael inspired product. And I got to go down to Cheyenne Canyon and, you know, do some kind of film to launch this, which is really fun. Um, if, if it's somewhere on your body that you can point to the pain, then a topical will work. So the muscle rub, for example, is our topical, which this is the one I use all the time. So it's a twist up and roll on, and then you didn't get your hands greasy, which is important before you're getting on a bike, I think. Yeah, um, for sure. So, <laughs> like, you can rub it on your temples for uh, or for a headache. Um, you used to use it a lot for menstrual cramps. You know, roll that on instead of taking um, an ibuprofen or something. So if it's if it's a, a knee, a neck, a shoulder, or whatever, a topical type pain, then then the topicals actually do really well for that. If it's something like sleep, anxiety, um, nausea, something that affects your whole body, then you're you're really going to need an ingestible. And I think, especially with more pain, the magic is to do both. So have an ingestible that you take a low dose every day just to satisfy, satiate your endocannabinoid system and keep all the um, systemic inflammation modulated, and then use a topical additionally as needed. Like if your shoulder flared up after a swim, then, okay, rub that on today and get that to calm down. Gotcha. Anything to add that to that, Joanna? Um, also no, I, kind of... I agree. If it's something that you can feel, okay. a topical is great, but if it's something systemic, then you need to take it systemically. Got it. Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. I like that. Um, all right. So Joanna, you, you kind of, you've had a journey, like kind of the athlete journey, the research journey that kind of brought you to where you're at right now. Um, to our listeners, why do you think that athletes should be informed about what CBD is as opposed to this guy who saw some stuff at a stand and was like, Oh, maybe I'll try it. Does nothing for me. And that's, that's it for my journey. What would you say to the athletes listening right now that may be a little bit critical, um, that you want them to know? It's not for everybody and that's okay. It's not gonna, it's not for everyone. It's not going to cure everything. It's something that you need to educate yourself about and decide whether it's right for you. I think it can be a very important part of a health and wellness regimen, but it's not the cure-all and it's not the be-all end-all. You still have to work hard. If, you know, if you're an athlete using it, you, it's not like you're going to take cannabis and say, okay, well, I can stop training now, or I don't need to sleep, or I don't need to eat healthily, or I don't need to do appropriate recovery. It's just one part of a multimodal approach to health and wellness. And for athletes, I think that it can be something very beneficial um, if used properly, but athletes need to educate themselves. And, you know, the information isn't going to just fall into their laps. You know, you need to learn about it just like you need to learn about how to train. You need to learn how to use cannabis because it, it can have beneficial effects, but it also can have adverse effects. And so people need to make informed decisions about whether or not they want to start a cannabis program, whether they want to continue with it. They need to define why they're using it. Um, just like they would uh, for their training. You know, why are you training? Are you training for a race? What are your goals for this? And so when I ask people, well, why are you using cannabis? And they just say, well, I want to feel better. Well, what does that mean? What do you want to feel better? Do you want to sleep better? Do you want better recovery? Do you want to enjoy your sports more? 
what, what is your primary goal? And so you need to define that. And if you don't know why you're using it, it's going to be much more difficult to determine whether or not it's working. That's a great answer. That's a wonderful answer. Stacy, I'll, I'll go to you next is in this kind of like the final kind of summary question is if somebody is pretty skeptical, just in terms of like the business side of things, um, you're selling snake oil, you're, uh, it's a crazy wild, wild west sort of thing that I'm sure you've heard plenty of times. Um, what would you say to that listener that has, has listened to us thus far and is like, yeah, still don't know. <laughs> I, I do think quality matters. So I think finding a quality product, you know, it's grown from a plant, um, that was extracted and, and produced properly. So, yeah, there are scary things. There are multi-level marketing companies that import everything from China that has tons of pesticides and hexane in it. And those, that's going to attenuate the goodness of the plant. But don't lose hope because there's one bad egg, right? There's plenty that are doing it right and that are doing the testing and that are backed with integrity and science. So I would, you know, educate yourself enough to find a quality product that's doing third-party testing that is labeled appropriately so that you know what you're putting into your body and then track it. Take uh, like a journal of sorts um, to Joanna's point. And I love what she said about well, exactly why do you want to feel better? We all want to feel better, but does that mean for me, that may mean that I sleep better or it may mean that you recover faster after one of your massive power meter workouts, Adam. So you know, just track what you, what you want to notice and then take it, a low dose for two weeks and and start looking at what symptoms might have improved or kind of what you notice in yourself. And athletes are a great test market because typically we're more in tune with our bodies and you care more about what you put into your bodies. You know, we're typically not the ones going through McDonald's at 2 a.m. and laying on the couch all day, right? You're a, a little better typically with, um, with the right nutrition and, and the right supplements and, and think of our bodies as, as vessels and, and treating them well. So I would continue that with a cannabis product and use something that's of tested and of high quality. Yeah, that it makes a lot of sense. And I think like, again, for me, when we kind of just started um, down this road of, Hey, should we do this interview? At first I was like, I don't know if I really want to. And the more I started to learn, I was like, oh, there's a lot of new research out there. And with Stacey kind of being involved, I was like, you know what, I'll give this a go. And got to know a little bit more about Joanna and then started to learn more about where CBD is at right now. Personally, uh, again, like haven't taken much, but from what I've learned thus far is there seems to be some potential benefits there, right? There's also some adversity or some adverse effects that can happen. Um, however, the cost benefit, you know, doesn't, the cost doesn't seem to be, um, significant to the, the potential benefit. If you go two weeks, you start low and go slow and you figure out it's not for you. Great. Yeah. Maybe out a little bit of money and, and, but you tried something, you know, and, and I think trying something, being open to something, I think that's okay. And where our society is at right now with the stigma of this substance, I think is actually pretty healthy in terms of where the trajectory is going. Um, anytime that we can break down some barriers and stuff that's been around for 3000 years, that is plant-based, you know, that's and not to be like a, a, a sell for 
Stacy's product or something. It's it's more about challenging your own biasy. I think like in in your head, right? Challenging yourself in our society as a whole. But then I would say kind of the criticism of what I've also learned thus far is it's going to be another hobby for you too, right? So if you're if you're into tubeless, you know, going tubeless on your road or mountain bike, managing your tire pressure, managing amount how much tube or tubeless sealant you have in there. Like it's a whole thing that you got to keep track on with a little diary of when did I last top that off? (laughs) What pressure do I run in this? And so same thing with CBD, it sounds like CBD, THC, the ratio for the morning, the ratio for night and all this kind of stuff. So if you, if you want to pursue a journey like that, just know that you're getting into a hobby from the sounds of it. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it definitely doesn't. It's not as onerous as yeah. It's not as onerous as you're saying. Okay. And and they do have apps. They have apps that you can track your use as well, which makes it a lot easier. There's an app for everything, isn't there? A very practical aspect. Take one in the morning, and then (laughs) try that for a few days, and then take one in the morning and one at night, and just track that. um, See, yeah, see how how you feel, what you notice, and sometimes people are. It's funny. We we give samples. Let's say. That may be a, a seven day, a 10 day sample. Ah, whatever. It's okay. And then they run out and a week later, in fact, I got an email this morning from a customer who's like, Oh, you know, I haven't felt as good the last week and I just didn't know what it was. And I ran out of my products. And so sometimes Interesting. it is subtle and it's kind of slowing and growing. And then when you stop with the cessation, you're like, Oh gosh, my knee is killing me. I didn't maybe realize how much the CBDA was helping until I stopped. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I, and I would say too, when it gets people starting to sleep well after this, oh, all I need is five or six hours. And then I challenge them. Okay. Let's get yeah. seven. Let's get eight. And then they go and they have five or six. They're like, Ooh, yeah. I feel terrible because <laughs> they don't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Well, we're, we're getting, I mean, we're kind of over time a little bit. We've, we've, hit the primary big points that I wanted to, there's still some, some rabbit holes we didn't go down, but I, I think this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, again, I thank you both Joanna and Stacy for being a part of it. And, uh, is there any final words that you have, um, to our audience, uh, Joanna, in terms of the research or Stacy, in terms of the product that you wanted to, uh, kind of leave with us? If anyone has any questions, send me an email. Cool. Do you want to, I'm happy to answer questions. Do you want to verbalize your email and then we'll also put it in show notes where people sure. can jot it's, it down or go get it? Yep. It's Joanna Zeiger, Z-E-I-G-E-R at Comcast.net. Zeiger like tiger, folks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Stacey, if they wanted to try your product, uh, if they're curious, where would you send them? Yes. Planetary.com. P-L-A-N-E-T-A-R-I-E or planet, A-R-I-E.com. Um, and so all the CTF guys get 10% off. So the code at checkout is CTF. So if you're listening, you can get your 10% Simple. off. If you have questions, very open to that. We have tons of material um, on our website. The white paper is on the website. If you have any other questions, um, there's a phone number online. And also you can email hello at planetary.com. Excellent. Well, thanks again to you both, and thanks for being part of the Train Ride Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainwright.com forward slash podcast 
where you can find social links, bonus content, and more about CTS. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show and leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.